Well, hello friends. Welcome again to the Digital Gathering. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at Discovery. I want you to meet me in the book of Proverbs. That's where we're going to be here in just a moment. Before we get to that, though, I want to give you a couple of updates uh, from our vision series. Last month, we did a three-part series on our vision for the upcoming year, and I just want to hit a couple of highlights from that to keep you guys in the loop on things that are happening here at Discovery. So first of all, one of the things that we talked about was this desire that we have as a community for uh, a more uh, sustainable physical presence in the city, right? A space that we can be in where we can be a part of what's going on in our community. We've got a lot of different things kind of percolating in this project right now. And while there are no documents to be signed, we're not quite to that point yet. Again, a lot going on, and it's really exciting to see all the different ways that this is coming together. That being said, this is the kind of project where we're going to look back someday and go, wow, look at all the different things that God did to make that possible, because it is going to require a lot of, uh, a lot of favor from different folks, the city, landlords, uh, partnership with other organizations and people. So my invitation to you is just to continue praying for us in this project. We don't know where it's going or how it's going to end, but we know that God is clearly at work in this. There's a lot of, uh, of things happening. And so again, just ask uh, you to join us in prayer for that, for discernment, for God to move, and for there to be favor from some of the people who are involved in that. We also introduced the idea of this new team uh, that we're calling Deacons, and the Deacon team has been formed. They are ready to go. They are going to start meeting soon, and we will introduce them to you at our first in-person gathering on March 14th. So join us at Community Park, of course, for worship and communion and all that great stuff, but also to commission and celebrate the Deacon team. Last but not least, we teased out this idea of mid-sized communities, this transition that our groups are going through into a different sort of format and social space. Really excited for this adventure for us. We've got a couple of great leadership teams that have formed around that. We're all set to launch in mid-April, and there will be some instructions and guidance about how to participate in those groups coming in the next few weeks, so be paying attention for that. Now, this coming Sunday is our second Serve Sunday. We did this once in the fall, doing it again here in this winter season. And there's a couple of things that go along with this that I just wanted to highlight and explain for you. One of them is this. One of our our partners, in fact, we worked with them at the last Serve Sunday, is called the Interfaith Rotating Shelter. This uh, collaboration amongst different churches and faith communities here in Davis to help take care of those without homes in our community. Oftentimes they get asked for help with food. And so one of the things that they like to have on hand is gift cards to restaurants and local grocery stores so they can just hand those directly to people who are in need. We're going to help provide from our Care and Compassion Fund a good number of those cards. Now, for the rest of us to be involved in this, we're looking for donations of tangible items for two of our partner organizations. One of those is Uh, Fourth and Hope in Woodland, the other Davis Community Meals. These are, again, organizations that we've worked with before. And the the way that this will work is you go to our webpage. There's a list of items to be donated there. Uh, There's a Serve Sunday link. It should be fairly easy to find. Go to that. Check out the list. Sign up for stuff. Um, Even if it looks like it's already full, bring more. We'll take whatever. And what you want to do is bring that right here 
to the downtown center next Sunday, March 7th, between 10 a.m. and 12 p.m., and the street team will make sure that those, get, those items get passed off to the right folks. Now, after you drop it off, what we're asking you to do, this is the third piece of Serve, Serve Sunday, what we're asking you to do is to take 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, some chunk of time next Sunday to pray for our community. And not just to pray, but to even go walking either through downtown after you drop stuff off or go back home, walk through your neighborhood and pray for discovery, for our, our mission and vision to be good news, to be a presence of Jesus's good news in this place. Pray for our city. Pray for our county and for those who are in need around us. Pray just God, give me the eyes to see what's going on around me as I take this walk. And if there's a need that you recognize, pray for that need. And then pray for these partnerships that we have. And there's some guidance. There's a prayer guide for that walk. It lists each of those organizations' mission statement. That's a great thing to pray for as, again, you're walking through downtown, through our neighbor, your neighborhood, through some part of our community one of, our, one of the ways for us to be collectively participating together in Serve Sunday. So check all of that out. If you have questions, email the street team, but it should be pretty self-explanatory, and we'll see how God uses all of this to tell a great story. Now, speaking of prayer, pray with me, and then we will jump into this final conversation on Proverbs. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for what you are doing in and through discovery, and that we get to be a part of this with you. God, there's a lot of things that are happening right now where we sense that we're in the middle of something. We don't know how it's going to end or what the resolution is going to be or where you're going to land this thing. And yet it's so exciting to be in the middle, in that process with you. So God, we ask that you would give us the eyes to see where you, at work, where you are at work and for us to have the courage to join you, not to pursue our own stuff, but to join what you are already doing. God, would you use our, our small efforts next Sunday to expand our hearts and our eyes, our love for this place, and then collectively with, with what we put together, God, that you would use those things to meet real needs to be a tangible expression of the good news of Jesus for people in our community. Now, God, we ask that you would uh, take this moment, <clears throat> you would expand our capacity to be present and to be still, that we might hear your voice, sense your spirit speaking to us. And then, God, give us the courage to respond this morning in whatever ways we need to respond. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. All right, once again, Proverbs is where we are today. Proverbs chapter 24. I'm just going to read a couple verses, and then we've got a great conversation to dig into here. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4 say this, By wisdom a house is built and through understanding it is established through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures by wisdom a house is built let's begin with this question what is your definition of the good life 
What is your definition of the good life? For some of us, the good life is this vision of, of moving through traditional life stages. Go to a good school, get a good job, get married, have kids, buy a house, that whole thing, right? For others of us, the good life is about pleasure and experiences, trips, parties, indulging yourself to the max, uh, just filling your life up with all of these kinds of things, right? Or maybe for some of us, the good life is about power and fame, making your mark, being noticed by others. Here in Davis, the good life is about earning a degree, making a unique and notable contribution through your research. It's about being recognized in your fields. The good life is defined by accomplishment and achievement. Your vision, whatever it is, your vision for the good life gives shape and meaning to the direction of your life, to the way that you make decisions. Your vision of the good life forms you. It forms you. Now, the sages who wrote the book of Proverbs were less concerned with whether or not we experienced the good life and far more concerned that we live a life that is good. Let me say that again. Less concerned with whether or not we live the good life, far more concerned that we live a life that is good. Now, we started this conversation a couple weeks ago with that question, what do you want? But another great question, a question that illuminates our good life vision is the question, what do you love? What do you want? What do you love? What do you love? It's in the realm of our affections. Our affections that our animating good life vision takes root. And it's from our affections that our good life vision drives us. Which is why, which is why the Proverbs speak so often of the heart. In Hebrew thinking, the heart was not just an organ pumping blood through your body, nor was it uh, like a you know, heart emoji sentimentalism. It, it, it was the core of your being, the heart, your deep affection, your loves. It was who you are as a person. Proverbs 27.9, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. The purpose of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Your heart, everything you do flows from it. And so we must take out, examine, spend some time with this question, what do you love? What do you love? Now, this idea of affections, it might be a new idea for us because faith is often framed around belief and therefore it's an issue of the mind. And when you frame it that way, the most important question becomes, what do you believe? Now, this is not entirely off base. In fact, there's a lot of good things about examining our beliefs and how we think and, and, and our minds. Scripture speaks of the importance of the mind 
often. Love the Lord your God, Jesus says, with all of your mind. The writer Paul, later in the New Testament, says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But notice how those, uh, those calls to examine our beliefs, to, to think about our minds, come within this larger context of affections. Jesus says, love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? Mind is one area to do this. The bigger category here is love. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But before that, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, your whole self, heart and mind, affections and brain. So our minds are important. I don't want to diminish that. Beliefs are important. But this is where we get confused sometimes in this wisdom conversation because wisdom is not just the accumulation of knowledge or the ticking of boxes of right beliefs. Wisdom is about the heart, the heart from which everything flows. So we must spend some time with this question, what do you love? Come back to this in just a moment. For a second, though, I want to revisit an idea that we introduced back in week one, which is stages of development that we all move through in our spiritual journeys. We said there are basically three stages, and this is, of course, a simplified version of this. But there's orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And I want to spend a, uh, just a few moments on this idea of orientation. Okay, The word itself has several definitions. You've probably been to some orientations in your life, maybe right here at UC Davis, maybe at a new job that you were taking on these, you know, a couple of hours, days, whatever it might be, where you are told all about the program, the job you have, where everything is, how to get around, all that kind of stuff, learning sort of the basic ins and outs of the thing that you are joining. But orientation can also mean this, a person's basic attitude, beliefs, or feelings. Attitudes, beliefs, feelings as they relate to a particular subject or issue. Do you hear that? Some of our key questions right in that definition. What do you want? What do you believe? What do you love? Attitudes, beliefs, feelings. Another word that we might throw in here is the word convictions. As you read through the Proverbs, you will notice that a lot of the book is addressed from someone to another someone. The sages will say, my son, listen to me, listen to wisdom, listen to lady wisdom. It is a book of orientation, addressing these basic attitudes, beliefs, and feelings. It is a book for building convictions. This is an important stage in spiritual development. So many adventures, so many journeys with God begin with this orientation moment. Think about a couple of big characters in the story of Scripture. Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12, God comes to them and promises them land and a family. Again, beginning this long, crazy journey with God. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, God chooses a guy named David, a man, the text says, after his own heart, to be the next king of Israel. Luke chapter 1, an angel shows up 
to a teenager named Mary and says, you are going to be the mother of God's son, the savior of Israel, the savior of the world. Now, these are very big, intense, crazy orientation moments, often filled with fear and amazement. But after that, that sort of initial shock wears off, these characters settle into their adventure because they've been oriented towards their role in this story. That orientation, land and family, next king of Israel, mother of Jesus, that orientation shapes their attitudes, beliefs, and feelings as they move forward. This is a vital foundational part of the spiritual journey, orientation, convictions. And so again, this is why it's so important that we examine our own heart orientation. Right? This brings us back to these questions. The, the, what is our vision of the good life? What do we love? As water reflects the face, Proverbs 27 says, so one's life reflects the heart. What does your heart reflect? Maybe I should say it this way. What does your life reflect about your heart? This is a sobering but important question. There are some places that we can look for clues as to the answer to this question. <clears throat> what does your life reflect? Take a look at your calendar. How do you spend your time? Take a look at your receipts, your bank account. How do you spend your money? What takes up emotional energy for you? What causes a kind of low-grade anxiety? What do you grant power to? These are all clues to your heart's orientation. Now, as you ask these questions, and again, this is why this is a sobering exercise. As you ask these questions, you may discover you have disordered loves. You may discover that, oh, wow, that desire to be affirmed and valued, that's why I'm spending so much time at work. That desire for stability and control, that's why I'm being overly critical of my kids. That desire for community is why I say yes to everything and I'm overextended in every direction. Disordered loves. Now, there may be some disordered loves that require significant intervention that lead to things like depression and addiction and which require professional help. Wisdom would say, get that help because your life flows from your heart. So one way to look at it is to ask those kinds of questions, time, money, resources, what takes up space in my, in my head. But you can also flip this to the positive. What does a life that is good look like? And this is where Proverbs is so wonderful. It gives us many insights into the answer to this question. What does a life that is good look like? 31 chapters dedicated to unpacking that. I just want to walk through a couple of highlights. Proverbs says a life that is good promotes justice and righteousness and shalom. A life that is good begins with right relationships. And of course, that begins with right relationship with God. We looked at this a bit in week one when we talked about that unusual phrase, fear of the Lord. Wisdom begins with fear of the Lord, right relationship with God. 
justice and righteousness and shalom begin by receiving God's grace provided for us through His Son, Jesus. His death and His resurrection. Receiving that grace begins this process of transformation, transforming our hearts so that we can be justice and shalom for our neighbors and our world. A life that is good seeks other wise people, community, right relationships with other people. Wisdom begets wisdom, so find other wise people. A life that is good is marked by patience. It's okay with delayed gratification and confession. This has been a huge struggle for me during this time of the pandemic. I thought I was a patient person, but this year has severely tested that conception of myself. Wisdom, though, is able to make decisions, not just in the moment, but with that larger time frame and perspective in mind. A life that is good is generous. It's generous with its wisdom, with its time, its talents, its resources, all for the benefit of its community. A life that is good seeks more wisdom. It sees that the process of gaining wisdom is just that, a process, right? It's not somewhere we arrive where all of a sudden we wake up and go, oh, look, I'm wise now. It understands there's more to seek and more to be found. And then finally, a life that is good is marked by joy and delight. Joy and delight. Now, this is a tricky one, so let me say a little bit more about this. Wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs is personified in a lot of different ways. One of the more fascinating descriptions of wisdom as a person comes in chapter 8. We're told that wisdom was there at creation, that wisdom takes delight and rejoices day after day in all kinds of things. Now, this does not mean that wise people are always happy, or that if you are sad, you are somehow being unwise. Proverbs 14.3 says, Even in laughter the heart may ache, and rejoicing may end in grief. A wise person can hold joy and sadness together. But there's something about wisdom that delights that finds joy in this crazy world. This has been a hard year, right? It's been a challenging year for all of us in so many different ways. It feels a lot more like a disorientation, which we'll talk about here in a couple of weeks. Feels a lot more like a disorientation. For me, one of the things that has just become apparent over the last year is that life is short. I turned 40. Over half a million people have died. This sense of mortality is just more viscerally real than ever before. And so one of the invitations of the Proverbs, of this journey, quest, adventure for wisdom, is to not waste the time that you have. 
to not waste your life on foolish things, on smaller visions. Now, sometimes talking this way can sound very like, oh, you know, I've got to, every moment of the day has got to be doing something redemptive. And again, that's where this balance of joy and delight comes in. But also this truth that time is fleeting. Don't waste it on smaller visions. C.S. Lewis says it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased. And so again, this question, what do you love? What do you love? As we end this part of our, our wisdom journey, I have a couple challenges for us. One's communal, one's individual. Back to Proverbs 24 for just a moment. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. You don't get a house full of rare and beautiful treasures by following the same old good life scripts that we are handed by our world. You find that treasure through risk and adventure by being willing to go places that other people are not willing to go. So communally, right, we're in this season of building. We want to build something new. Because life is too short to just keep doing the same thing that everyone else is doing. So my challenge to us, discovery. Let's make something rare and beautiful. Let's dedicate ourselves to that kind of a story. And so my invitation for you, my, my challenge for us collectively, again, is to pray for this church. Pray for this vision. Pray for what we are building together that it would be something rare and beautiful. Now, on an individual level, there is this light at the end of the tunnel of this pandemic, and that's really great news. But one of my concerns is this. Just because life returns to some semblance of normal does not mean that all of your challenges are going to magically go away. Our post-pandemic lives are being formed now by the decisions that we are making now. So what better time than now than to wrestle with these big questions? What do I want? What do I believe? What do I love? What captures my affections? Do I have disordered loves? As we talked about that vision for a life that is good, shalom, justice, generosity, patience, joy, love, wisdom, What's missing? What, which of those things do I desire more of? What steps do I need to take to move in that direction? Don't wait. Don't, don't wait until that magical day when all of your problems disappear to sit with those questions. As Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Spend some time, take those questions out, examine them. 
have a conversation with God about them. See where that conversation leads. And again, let's build something beautiful and rare together. Are you with me? Now, to communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the good gift of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. At the Last Supper, we see so many of the qualities of a life that is good on display. We see Jesus' love for his Father. We see his love for his friends. We see his joy, his sacrifice, his patience, his wisdom, and his perspective. We see his heart. Listen to his own words. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And then he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, After the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The body and blood of Jesus, broken and poured out for us. That we can have right relationship with God. That we can experience a life that is good here and now. God's wisdom on full display. When you're ready, take and eat the body and blood of Christ.